Good morning, Audrey. So listening to that song, Grace is Enough, and uh, it was reminding me of this section of Scripture where the Apostle Paul is talking, and he, and he says that um, something that he was going through, uh, some long-term battle that he was having, uh, he, he kept bringing to God, and he, and he said, uh, three times I, I went to God, and I asked him to deliver me from this thorn in the flesh. You know, this, this temptation, something that in his, his journey uh, of faith, in his seeking of God, and this is inconsistent with the nature of God, and yet it exists in my life, and I'm battling with this, and I, and I, and I hate this. God, take it away. And, and three times, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. That's an amazing, that's an amazing gift, isn't it? I mean, no matter where you're at, no matter what it is that you're going through, no matter what it is that you are experiencing, that the grace of God, he says, I- I've got enough love because my grace, my unmerited favor, my unconditional love for you, it, it has nothing to do with what you're doing. You can't earn grace. Is that, is that good news to anybody? Yeah, this is, this is something that can be so powerful in our lives if we let it. It really can change everything if we understand that our story isn't about what we do, but what he's done. So today we're going to be continuing in, uh, with E3 at the movies. Uh, we've got E3 on demand, as Steve-O told us, um, The Blind Side. How many of you came out last night to watch The Blind Side? Woo-hoo! Yeah, we had a cookout, we had a good time. Um, the Blind Side. And anybody else actually seen the movie? Oh yeah, oh yeah, okay, so a lot of people seen the movie. All right, this came out in 2009. Um, and one of the reasons that we're talking about, again, just talking about movies and talking about story is is that we, as humans, we are story-shaped creatures. You know, we have ideas, um, and, but in order for, for life to be meaningful, in order for a story to be meaningful, an idea to, to really take shape, we have to put body and, and blood on these ideas and, and make them story. They have to become things that, that have action. We love to talk about, you know, and we sing about it in worship songs, you know, how great God is and how strong he is and God is powerful. It's a, it's a wonderful idea, right? God's powerful is a great idea, but, but until you experience the power of God, like until you are in the place where you're being oppressed by your enemies and until you're place, in the place where you're, where you're desperate you have a desperation of soul or a fear in your mind until you are like the children of Israel with your, with your facing the, the Red Sea and behind you the Egyptian army is running. Like Until you're in that moment where you need the power of God to show up or else death is imminent, like, man, that's story. That's, that has power, that has passion, that has something that can motivate and inspire. God really did that? And so as we talk about story, what we're really looking for is, is that place where 
our ideas become beliefs where, where our stories reveal the story of God, what he desires to communicate. Uh, the Blind Side is absolutely beautiful movie. I really enjoyed it. And it, it basically, it's, it's two worlds clashing. And so we're going to watch the we're going to watch the trail for that in just a minute. But here we have uh, we have Michael Orr, um, you know this this kid from Hurt Village, this this kid who somehow escaped the projects and yet was put into all of these foster homes, um, and, and is battling you know really a lack of identity, a lack of people investing in him, a total inconsistent um, you know childhood, and his world is clashing with. The Tui family. All of a sudden, you know, here it is, the Tui family, this, this very affluent, um, white-collar, you know, Christian family who now all of a sudden they're, they've got this, this large African-American male in their life, and they're going, this is new, you know? There, there's one quote that, uh, that Leanne Tui says, you know, in the, in the film, and... Um, and they're very Republican, you know, uh, of, of course, and, and it's funny. And, and, um, and they hire a tutor for Michael, and she's, you know, she's a Democrat. Um, and, and then um, there's this line, and, and the husband looks uh, at, at, uh, at Sandra Bullock, and he says, did you ever think that we'd have a, a black son before we knew a Democrat? <laughs> and it's just kind of like, wow. You have a very interesting context to life, don't you? You know? But these two worlds just colliding and, and crashing and and the openness that they that they just jump into in, in this situation and the challenges, the controversies, the the inconsistencies that arise. It's awesome. So let's go ahead and take a look uh, at that trailer, the blind side. Right, so if you haven't seen it, now you want to. The blind side is, is this, uh, it's this reference to the, the things that you can't see, the things that are out of your peripheral vision, the things that you're not engaging with uh, on a regular basis and the things that might need to be brought to the light. And so um, in football, the analogy is here is uh, you got a left tackle, uh, and the left tackle is a right-handed quarterback's best friend. <laughs> because as he's there and he's, and he's cocked back looking for his receivers, he's blind here. And so the left tackle is, is his man. He's probably the second highest paid person on the team, um, right behind the quarterback. And, and he is responsible for making sure that the quarterback has the time that he needs to be able to fulfill his mission. So it kind of speaks to that, but it also speaks to maybe the picture that we were talking about of, of grace where, you know, Paul on, a, on the road to Damascus, he goes in and he's going to persecute Christians. He's completely blind to Christianity. He's completely blind to the work of Jesus Christ. 
in his life, in the world. The only thing he knows is that God has a law and the Christians are messing it all up. He's perfect according to the law. He's a good person. And yet the Christians, they need to be done away with because they are messing up his religiosity. And so he's on his way and he comes face to face with Jesus. And and Jesus says to him, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this to me? It says that Paul was blinded, and then he, he, he goes away, uh, goes to uh, uh, Ananias' house. He's blind for three days, and Ananias prays for him. And then these things like scales fall from his eyes. He's healed. All of a sudden, he now, instead of uh, an oppressor, he becomes an advocate. All of a sudden, he has been enlightened. He's no longer blind to the things that are going on. Now, all of a sudden, he has new passion and new zeal. He has a whole new story, something completely different, not according to what he used to do to earn his righteousness, to be right, but now to to serve Christ, to engage the love of God and live only for that and only be defined by that. If this story, The Blind Side, teaches us anything, uh, I love this movie because it keeps showing in, within the script, all these inconsistencies. And a lot of people are having problems with the blind side because they're like, oh, it's so, you know, cliche, you know, here the, the rich white people come in and, and save the poor African-American people. Oh, well, you know. And um, all right, you know, they come in and, and they're the savior. Uh, and oh, he's changing my life. Oh, you know, just so, so pat, so cliche. And yet, this is based on a true story. And every time I kept hearing those reviews or, or hearing people say these things like, no, but, but this is real. But this is based, this is what's happening. And why, why, why do we have this contempt for things that we perceive as cliche? Why when we see things that are going on and that are good, why when we see movement, when we see an answer that, that seems to just be so well, in our eyes, it must seem fake. Then all of a sudden, we, we have contempt for it. Maybe it's because we recognize the inconsistencies in our own life. Maybe it's because we realize, you know what? I, I hate that response. I hate that answer because I can't get there. And maybe it reveals something inside of us that says, you know what? I, I'm, not, I'm not good enough. I want to be good enough. I should be good enough, but... But I can't be good enough, and so the, there's a problem with this. Well, there's a few inconsistencies in the movie that, that I love the, the way the, the script reveals it. There's this man who, uh, Big Mike, Big Mike kind of crashes on his couch now and then. And, he, and these, this guy says, you know, we, I got to do this. I, I, can't, I can't let this kid just, I can't put him out on the street. And then they, they go through this, and then there's this scene where in, in hushed tones behind a door, he and his wife have a conversation, and she says, you just need to let somebody else be Christian about this. You need to just, well, this is not our problem. We, we do not need to invest in this anymore. What do you want me to do, kick him out on the street? I, I don't know, I just want more time with you. All right, I'll deal with it. You know, these little inconsistencies. <laughs> These challenges to our faith. 
There's the one where the, the coach, and, and in one scene early on in the movie, you know, he steps up and he's like, he, first he sees Big Mike playing basketball, you know, and he's like, oh my, he's like, mother of God, you know, like, wow, this guy's amazing, you know. Um, I don't think it was a Catholic school either, but, uh, but anyway, so they're out there, they're playing, and then like the next scene, you know, he's like, we've got to let this kid into our school, you know, and the, everybody else is like, oh, it's a train wreck waiting to happen. He's got a .6, 0.6 grade point average, you know. He'll never be able to play ball anyway, you know, and he, he points to the plaque and he says, if we don't let him in this school, we need to take, we need to paint over the word Christian, you know, on our, on our school sign. Real powerful moment, you know, and you think he's got some real conviction. Man, this guy's good. Well, later on, you know, you find out there's just inconsistency. You find out after, after a few practices and when the, some of the other college coaches are coming to check out his little high school program, you know, and hey, I coached him up a little bit, you know, and yeah, um, you know, we, 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 we did what we could. We, we worked with him, you know. It was real raw, but, you know, isn't he good now? And, you know, all, you know, and, and all of a sudden, you know, well, I, th- I thought you got him in because it was your Christian duty, like, I thought you wanted to do the right thing, not create a winning football team. <laughs> a little inconsistency. And even in the lead character, Sandra Bullock just plays it so strongly, so uh, such an amazing uh, character. To, to balance, you saw in, in, the, in the clip where they see him walking on the side of the road and, and they drive by and then she's like, stop, turn around, you know. Husband turns around, Big Mike, where are you going? You got a place to stay, you know? And you, and you just saw that battle. She looks away, she looks at him, she, she looks away. I cannot turn away from this. There, there's no place in the expression of my faith as, as a Christian woman there, as she was saying, there's no place for me to go, well, all right, go huddle up outside the gym. <laughs> there, there's no place for me to, to say, in this freezing weather, it's okay for me to just let you go. No, you're coming to my house. You know, and she just battled that out as an expression of her faith. And then, and then later on, knowing all the things that she'd done and all the things that she'd given to, to be a blessing, to have in that intimate moment, in that, in that quiet place with her husband, just to sit in their bedroom and, and almost tearfully for her to, to ask him, am I a good person? Am, am I a good person? Like, am, is what I'm doing really the right thing? Like, am I doing this because I want other people to, to think that I'm good? Am I doing this because this is what I've defined my goodness as, what I do? Or, or am I doing this because I'm Christian? I'm doing this because I love God and I can't step away from an opportunity to love someone else, to meet someone's need, to express compassion. I love that inconsistency. I love that battle because what it provokes and what it promotes is the heartbeat of what our life should be, the heartbeat of the life of Christ, which was exercised and and made an example of through humility. And to be honest enough to say, if we're anything, we are hypocrites. That's tough. (laughs) That's tough to say, right? I mean, but, but nevertheless, as humans, we can all sit in this place and go, there's, there's been a point where no matter what I believed, no matter what I thought was right, no matter what I swore up and down I'd never do, I did. 
No matter what I professed, that there was a time when I walked away from it, no matter how much, how, how, how good I thought I was, and I was always doing the right thing when God presented me with an opportunity, there were times that I really wasn't really willing to make the sacrifice. I knew that I was supposed to, but I just didn't. And that's a great place to engage the story of God. It's a great place to wrestle. It's a great place to be honest because guess what? The rest of the world, they don't view us that way. They view us as, as having some kind of facade, as some story of, of, of good people that, that's fake, that it isn't real. There's a section of Scripture in Matthew chapter 19 we're going to look at. Matthew 19, verses 16 through 22. This, this whole thing of story, this is the whole process of reconciling what we think and how we act to bring out the story of God's faithfulness. And Pastor Eric talked last week, remember, about God turning curses into crutches and turning wounds into scars. And that these things were the, were the pictures that God was sustaining and working and, and healing, that he was active in our lives. And that process of him being active is, is this story. And so in Matthew chapter 19, we have this section of Scripture where this rich young ruler is who it is. And it says, someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man asked, and and Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else do you do? And Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Here he is. He's, he's living out the, the human battle. Am I a good person? Am I a good person? Some, some translations, um, uh, some, some other uh, texts say that as he approached Jesus, that he said, good teacher. Here he was, he identified that there was a lot of goodness in Jesus' teaching. There was a lot of righteousness in his life. Oh, here, here's maybe a, a, another standard. Here's a, maybe even a higher standard. I already know I'm a good person. I, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't stolen I love, I love my neighbor. I, I'm not lying to people. I, I'm a good person. Let's see what Jesus has to say. All right, I, I'm, I know I'm good, and yet I have this question, am I good enough? How do I get eternal life? How do I, how do, I do that? Here's authority that can give me the answer to the question. And so it says that as he, as he got the answer from Jesus... Okay, here is, is what you're doing. You followed the first six commandments. Jesus spat them out. You have lived perfectly according to the law in regards to man. You, you are 
you're socially responsible. You are, you are a good citizen. You're, you are morally upright. What's missing in this equation? The other four commandments. See, the first six, they all relate to people, and then the last four, they relate to God. Loving God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He says, don't worship other gods. Don't have any, any false idols. You know, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. You know, all of these kinds of things. And there was a disconnect. And so Jesus gives him the answer to eternal life. The answer to eternal life is relationship with me. See, what's happened here, buddy, is you have defined yourself by what you do. Your self-worth is tied up in your net worth. You have a lot of possessions. Your value is found in the things that you own and the things that you give away and the way that you help and the things that you do and the things that you don't do and how good you are. That is what has defined you. What you need is for me to define you. What you need is to get rid of all of that, leave it behind, and come and follow me. He said the same thing to the other disciples. And you remember when there was some controversy, when there were some problems, when a lot of people were walking away from Jesus because he said, you need, to, you need to really have communion with me. You need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. You need to have fellowship with me. We need to be part of each other. A lot of the disciples walked away. This is, this is a hard thing. But those core group of disciples, what did they say? Where are we going to go, Jesus. You alone have the words of eternal life. You've got the, you're the only one that has the words of life. And here, this man, he identifies that Jesus has the words of life, but he's defined his life in another way. He's defined his life by being morally upright, socially responsible, by being a good citizen. And our job, our story is to be part of God's story. His story is that, is that love came down to walk beside us with, with enough grace and with enough mercy to pave the broken and messy paths that we walk every single day. That is God's story. And our story is to be a reflection of his story, part of his story. In Ephesians chapter 2, we've got a few, a few verses from Apostle Paul give us a little bit more insight into what God did. And it says, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we were united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. See, living this story, living this this good story, living this God story, is really about taking these ideas and transforming them into belief putting meat on the bones of ideas. Taking the ideas and saying, all right, if it's going to be meaningful to a human being, then I need to put blood and body on this. And faith and belief are a whole body experience. Faith and belief are a whole body experience. What we know about God and what we do 
can be two totally different things. We all learn in, in grammar school, you know, growing up, we've got this idea, we've got this knowledge. All right, you know, one plus one is two. Five plus five is ten, you know. Take it into your realm. Five thousand plus five thousand is ten thousand. This idea is the way, that, the way that things can work in the world. But when you reach in your pocket and you pull out two $5 bills, you have a choice. All of a sudden, this, this, this amoral money can become something that brings moral truth into the world. And it's all about the decision of how I'm going to spend that. It's all about the decision of, of, am I going to be part of God's story with these resources? Or, well, or are, they, are these resources going to define me? Are they going to give me pleasure? Or am I going to let them be a conduit of God to give God pleasure? To glorify Him or to glorify myself? It's always this question, you know, like, can money buy happiness? And you know that this man wrestled with that question. There's no doubt in my mind that money had bought a measure of happiness. You know, I've heard somebody say one time, hey, ask anybody with a wave runner if they're happy. (laughs) Of course they are, you know, but not all of us can afford a wave runner. But money can buy, it can buy a measure of happiness, right? But maybe that's the wrong question. Maybe it isn't about, can money buy happiness? Maybe it's more about, you know, how do I give God happiness? If my life is meant to be a response to His love, then it really doesn't matter what I, the things that I buy my own limited pleasure with because those things are going to pass away. Coming to that recognition in your mind that, like this man, as he didn't, he, he, he saw the things that he possessed and he turned away. God, Jesus, I, I can't follow you. Jesus, I, I, I'm, my wave runner is more important. My hummer is more important. This many thousand square feet is more important. My social status is more important. Me getting what I want when I want it is more important than you, Jesus. You know? And yet, as Christians, we say, and hopefully we believe, that our best story started when we responded to God calling us by our name. When we responded to, all right, I'm going to let God define me. My wife and I had an opportunity a couple of years ago, a girl who was in a community, we reached into our pocket and we found that we'd had some extra money. What are we supposed to do with this? Well, there's plenty of places for extra money to go, right? <laughs> Especially if you have a family. There really is an extra money. We reached in our pocket and we found this money and we've been walking through life with this girl. And all of a sudden, she came to the house one night. She called me up and said, can I come over? I, I have a problem. I'm like, well, it's like, it's like 9 o'clock at night. Um, just kind of winding down. I, I, need, I need to talk with you. All right, well, hey, come on over, you know. Got an open door, come on over. Yeah, what's going on? And so she gets there, and she kind of hems and haws and beats around the bush and finally gets to the, to the place of just confession. And, you know, I, uh, I'm, in a, I'm in an adulterous relationship with a married man. 
Um, I'm doing uh, a lot of drugs. I'm emotionally and relationally broken. I'm financially broken. I, I, I owe a drug dealer um, a, a few hundred bucks. Wow. He said, yeah, he, he, uh, this guy doesn't mess around. Um, I, I talked with him last night, and he said, um, I have to have the money in, in two days. It was, it, was, it was a Wednesday night. I have to have the money by Friday or else. You know, you just, her lips quivered, and there was fear, just kind of like this incredulous revelation. <laughs> How, wow, this is really where I'm at. How did I get here, you know? And I remember we just, we prayed for her and we said, oh, I'm so sorry that you, you went through this. And I, um, let's, just pray, let's just ask God for his provision, you know? So we went through that. We, we gave her a lot of really hard truth um, and sent her on her way. And that night I, I just, I asked my wife, I said, Renee, um, I don't believe that this is coincidence. Um, I feel really uncomfortable, like, buying someone else's Coke. <laughs> but I believe that God wants us to take this money and to give it to this girl so she can pay off her drug dealer. What do you think about that? She just looked at me. She's like, is that the right thing to do? <laughs> is, is that is that Okay. <laughs> Like, is it okay for me to buy somebody else's Coke? <laughs> and we just wrestle with that. We just battle with that. And like, yes, it is. Why? Not because it's okay, but because what we're doing is we want to be the hand of Christ in this person's life. And we want to buy them a window of grace. We want to buy a redemptive space in their life where they see that, guess what? God loves them even now. We love them even now. And nothing will separate you from the love of God. Nothing. We're not going to let that happen. I can't turn away this opportunity. This is too great an opportunity to just be God's grace in someone's life. So what stands in our way? I mean, we have these, these inhibitions. We have this partiality that we show, right? And yet we know that God is an impartial God. He gives everyone the opportunity. He says, I desire that none should perish, but all should come to eternal life. And so how do I, how do I get to the place of, of really creating a God story? How do I probe my life you know, to offer things to worship Him with? How do I ask myself the right questions? You know, do I make room to give room to, to, for God to speak into my life? Do I, do I say, all right, God, guide me? But more often than not, in this battle for humility, in this, in this inconsistencies, in the inconsistencies that we see in our life, a lot of times we're, we're finding that, well, I already have the right answers. It's not wise to buy someone else's drugs. Like, that's not wise. It, I already have the right answer. It's, it's, I have a lot of debt, so I don't need to tithe. I already have the right answers. My time is busy. My schedule is full. Like I, I don't have time to go down to Frenchtown and, and, and spend some time just making food for people. I can't do that. 
And we, we seem to know, I mean, there seems to be this side to all of us that's blind. And how do we really make room? How do we make the decisions that put us in that place where to my back is the Egyptian army running up to crush me and in before me is an impassable ocean? And yet I stand perfectly in the middle in this incredibly unsafe and treacherous and dangerous, scary place, perfectly in the middle of God's will, right where he wants me. How do I get to that place where that's my story? My story echoes the lives of faith that we read about in the Bible. And that's the story of our humanity, that regardless of where we're at in our spiritual journey, that we aren't there yet, and that's okay. There's nobody in this place, I don't care if you've known God for, you know, 50 years. You've daily submitted your life to him. Guess what? You're still this side of heaven. You're still imperfect. You still have something that God wants to teach you. And so we're all in the same boat with this. I love this section of Scripture. But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. I want to have the band come back up and lead us in a, in a final song of worship. I believe that the song that, that we're going to sing is, is, is keying into like kind of the, the thrust of, of where God wants our stories to flow. It's not okay just to be agents of change in the world. It's not okay just to be doing righteous things. It's not okay just to be perceived as good people. Like we have to wrestle and we have to challenge it and, and, and ask ourselves, am I a good person because of the blood of Jesus Christ? Like, is my worth found in the things that I am doing or, or is my worth found in the expression of love in the engaging of love and the responding to this great love and this richness of mercy that God has poured out in the world? And God gives us and he calls us to compassion. And that literally means to suffer with and it's awesome that we have opportunities like going to Frenchtown to serve, like going to, to Red Eye Midtown and, and being a volunteer and giving of your time to be a, a local missionary right here in Tallahassee for four or five or 20 hours a week. It's awesome that we have these opportunities to, to, to show compassion and to, and, to, and to give of our time and to serve and to, and to share love, but, but it doesn't end there. Th those are open doors. Those are meant to provide us more opportunity, that we meet a person that God wants us to walk side by side with. Maybe we find someone who has that drug addiction. We find someone who has too many children to care for. Maybe we find that person that just needs a friend. These very simple things, just to walk side by side. And I don't have all the answers, but... But, Michael Orr, I'm willing to suffer with you. I'm willing to, to go and be a part of your life and to invite you into my life and to see if God wants to do something, to see if God will do something in us and through us, in you to help you grow and in me to help me grow.
We're going to sing this song together, and I just wanted to read the words to you first. A thousand times I've failed, still your mercy remains. And should I stumble again, still I'm caught in your grace. Everlasting. Your light will shine when all else fades. Never ending. Your glory goes beyond all fame. In my heart, in my soul, I give you control. Consume me from the inside out. Lord, let justice and praise become my embrace. To love you from the inside out. Your will above all else. My purpose remains. The art of losing myself and bringing you praise. Everlasting, your light will shine when all else fades. Never ending, your glory goes beyond all fame. We like to talk in Christian circles about dying to self. But more than that, it's not really about giving up something for God. We don't even really have the right to use the word sacrifice in comparison to the sacrifice that Jesus Christ gave. More what it's about is that we respond to the love that has been given. That we identify, unlike this man in Matthew chapter 19, that guess what? God, you have given everything. It is all yours. There is no comparison. There is nothing that I hold. There is no idol. There is nothing that I worship. There is nothing. There is no one that stands in the way of my love for you. That comes first and foremost. And then it flows freely to the rest of the world. Otherwise, I've got it outside in. Otherwise, I'm living by how you define me. I'm letting the world and I'm letting other relationships define me. And instead, as we sing this song, I challenge you just to ask God, God, what am I blind to? God, what is it that exists inside of me that I am just completely oblivious, that this morning right here in this place with hope and with expectation, you want to knock the scales right off my eyes. You want to meet me here. Will you pray with me? Lord, we just humbly confess to you that we are in desperate need of you. That we all sit in the same place, this side of heaven, We sit in the middle of your grace, an unmerited favor. And Lord, we ask you that you would give us such bold confidence and such security in that grace and that mercy that you pour out freely. Lord, that you would give us the courage to ask for your help, the help to make the right choices, the right decisions that honor you. Lord, that you would purify our motives and that you would help us to ask that question. Jesus, am I a good person? Do you define me as good? Am I good? Am I right with you? Am I following you? Am I in submission to you? Lord, we we only desire your glory. We only desire to be complete in you. And wherever we lack, Lord, we say that by faith, knowing that that is the work that you long to do in our heart and our soul. In Jesus' name, everybody said.